0: welcome you're listening to the sacristy a podcast where we seek to learn discuss and exalt in the faith delivered once for all to the saints as it has been passed down in the anglican tradition my name is father matthew ainsley the prospective vicar of all souls episcopal church a church plant in horizon west florida which will, Lord willing, have its first service in just a few weeks, November 3rd of this year. Yeah. And
1: I'm joined by my unparalleled co-host. Father David Bumstead, the rector of Emmanuel Episcopal Church in the Audubon Park neighborhood of Orlando, Florida.
0: We're real priests with real jobs and real churches, and service times are in our bio. We'd love for you to join us for worship if you're ever in town.
1: So this is a Lesser Feast episode. This is a shorter episode where we do our sermon, uh, fly by our sermon uh, first pass uh, between regular episodes. And so we have something kind of shorter for you if you listen regularly to the podcast.
0: Yeah, and before we go any further, some resources for you, because every episode we're talking about the lections for a particular Sunday, or in this case, the lections for a great feast coming up, St. Michael and All Angels, which we'll talk about in a second. And we get this question in our churches. Father Matt, Father David, where do I find the readings? And since we're following the Revised Common Lectionary, you can find them online. There's a great resource, lectionarypage.net. Just go there. You click on the date, and it'll give you all the readings. It'll give you both tracks since we're in ordinary time. And then also another source for the lesser feast and fast, as they're called, a great devotional book that I love to refer to personally is called They Still Speak. And it just takes you through the Christian year for those lesser feasts. And it will tell you something about the life of a saint or one to whom we should look. And really just a great resource and great devotional. One of the things
1: that's super great about it is it often has uh, texts from a saint's work um, or perhaps even a a testimony about their life from somebody who who knew them very well. Both of us uh, find it to be a tremendous resource for preaching on those days. Another thing that some folks might be blessed by is there's another resource by J. Robert Wright called the um, Readings for the Daily Office from the Early Church. Um, So if you would like to incorporate early Christian writings into your observance of the Daily Office, it's a really tremendous resource, a great compilation of the Fathers especially. So we commend that to you. All right, well, we're getting near the end of the month of September, and so
0: we're going to be looking at the elections for Sunday, September 29th. That's the 16th Sunday after Pentecost. Father David, the Lord be with you. And with thy spirit. Let us pray. O God, who declarest thy almighty power chiefly in showing mercy and pity, mercifully grant unto us such a measure of thy grace that we, running to obtain thy promises, may be made partakers of thy heavenly treasure through Jesus Christ our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen.
1: Uh, coming up, September 25th, Sergius. Uh, the church remembers this abbot of Holy Trinity in Moscow in 1392, his birth date to heaven. And September 26th, the church remembers Lancelot Andrews, a Carolyn Divine Bishop of Winchester, died 1626. And then, of course, September 29th and 30th, if you're transferring the feast, St. Michael and all angels, which we will talk about shortly. As we are wont, we take a few minutes and do our sermon first pass as much as we can every week. And so here we are on this Sunday to come. What do you think, Father Matt? Well, first, let's just briefly look at the
0: lessons and the psalm we have for our old testament lesson Amos chapter 6 verse 1a and then verses 4 through 7 and that's got to A- be 1a it's got to be 1a we we can't take the time to read the second half of that <laughs> first verse and two more verses so you know how i feel about that <laughs> <laughs> anyways this is Amos basically criticizing Israel And Judah, so the northern and southern kingdoms, for doing the opposite of what we're going to see Jesus exhorting us to do in the gospel. That they're not caring for the poor. They're not following
1: the Lord. Just so we know that Jesus isn't talking in a vacuum here. This is something that the the prophets have been trying to communicate to Israel for a long time. Absolutely. And then uh, Psalm 146.
0: And then our epistle is 1 Timothy chapter 6 verses 6 through 19, and Paul is dealing with, you know, what do we do with riches and very much is going to connect with our gospel Mm -hmm. of we need to be content with food and clothing. And the love of money is the root of all evil, as it says in the King James, or the root of all kinds of evil and saying to eschew the things of this world. But then he comes back at the end of that pericope and says, but if you do have money, this is how you ought to use it being merciful and gracious and generous. And then finally, and this is going to tie all these together, and we're actually going to take the time to read this parable, because that's where we're going to hang out with the sermon first pass primarily, is Luke chapter sixteen nineteen through 31, which is known as the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. So beginning in verse 19, Jesus said, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner evil things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. Besides all this, Between you and us a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, and no one can cross from there to us. He said, Then, Father, I beg you to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them, so that they will not also come into this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. He said, No, Father, Abraham. But if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent," he said to him. "If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead."
1: I remember the first time I actually did some study on this. I was reading through John Chrysostom, and um, I wish I could quote him from memory. But I just remembered one of the things that he does is really highlight some of the some of the evocative imagery that jesus is using i mean as we all know the gospel writers are, are intentional in their writing of course and so i think he's really trying to i think jesus is really trying to grab our attention by using these kinds of images that uh, covered with sores who long to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table even the dogs would come and lick his sores i mean how are dogs regarded in this point in ancient history father not well. Not well. Yeah. Dogs are not like, you know, pretty poochy, like my dog, whose name is Cat. Um, they
0: likely didn't have the elevated
1: status that they have. Not at all.
0: In the United States in <laughs> the 21st century.
1: <laughs> yeah. Is that fair? Yeah, that's fair. I don't think these dogs are being carried around in bags. But so these dogs, it's why we say even the dogs would come and lick his sores. And so, I mean, it's just gross. Mm-hmm. The poor man died and was carried away by angels to, uh, to be with Abraham. Uh, the rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, you know, we get this situation, again, where Father Abraham, have mercy on me, send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. Again, a really evocative image, just this tiny, tiny little bit of water would provide this bit of relief.
0: And his arrogance persists in Hades. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have Lazarus dip his finger. He's still got this sort of caste system, yeah. right? This classist sort of attitude even as he's being punished for his arrogance. Yeah. And his hard-hardness that he doesn't even have the compassion of a beast,
1: of a dog. Ugh, they're yeah. more compassionate. Yeah, they're coming to lick his wounds with the with the sure. saliva of their dog tongue. But yes.
0: This is an interesting parable because it's unique uh, in many ways, but particularly because it's the only parable where one of the characters is named. We have a name Lazarus. Right. And that has led some in the medieval period, but particularly in the Reformation, to believe that perhaps this isn't a parable at all. It's some sort of dramatic retelling of real, actual post mortem events. Sure. One of those people that thought that was named John Calvin, and Canon Justin Holcomb said we would never bring him up or <laughs> quote him ever again. So we're just, I'm bringing this up to spite him, really. <laughs> Yeah, take that, Canon Holcomb. (laughs) But then, you know, other commentators have brought up, you know, it's introduced in very much the same way that all the other parables are
1: in Luke. But it's sort of an interesting take there. And it's also coming right after a parable that we read last week or last Sunday. It makes sense that another parable would follow a parable.
0: Sure. And this teaching, which is in part a critique, a calling to repentance to Israel and to the Pharisees in particular who have a lot of the traits of this rich man. They're rich. These are people at the top. These are people that are arrogant, that have some pride, which Jesus is confronting. And he's calling them to repentance and trying to show them the error of their ways But it's interesting because it has led some to read through this parable and say, okay, so is it salvation through poverty? If you're poor, you go to Abraham's bosom, paradise. If you're rich, you go to Hades. Right. Which Augustine, being Augustine, points out that if it was just a matter of being poor and that the rich perhaps can't be saved... It makes no sense that he was brought to Abraham's side because Abraham
1: himself was a very rich man. Right. It also ignores the <laughs> in the in the last part of of the text, if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Right? Not not change socioeconomic status, but sure, repent. Right. So sure. like the repentance is an important aspect of Jesus' ultimate point in this case.
0: And we have in scripture these four categories, if you will, of you have the righteous rich. Abraham would be an example of the righteous rich. You have the unrighteous rich, which the rich man in this parable would be an example. You have the righteous poor. And then, of course, you have the unrighteous poor. Right. So not saying, you know, salvation through poverty. However, I would say in this text and then particularly in the epistle uh, in First Timothy, it says the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And in their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith. Mm-hmm. You could say that perhaps the road to hell and, and judgment is paved with riches. It can be a way in which people's heart is led away from the Lord. Jesus himself saying, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven? Right. And so we do have to be well, on guard that our hearts aren't attached to the things of this world. Especially that our hearts would be hardened and that we would ignore well, to make the make your, least
1: of these. To make your point, what does Paul say after... In their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith. He provides a contrast. But as for you, man of God, rich, poor, whatever, shun all this. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, and for which you make the good confession, the presence of many witnesses. Right, so there's there's a there's a righteousness that is meant for us to take hold of in Christ that righteousness of Christ is the road by which we are saved i came across a sermon by
0: Cyril of Alexandria which we talked about in our last mm-hmm. episode when we're talking about the councils of the church and he was contending and as an aside it was really frustrating because only a fragment of the sermon is extant. And it was really good. And I was getting to the meat of it. And then it's like, the rest of this sermon does not exist. (laughs) So it was was like, no, I want to read the rest of it. Somebody didn't like it. (laughs) But he was contending that this portion of Luke's gospel is sort of a concession to the rest of us. Meaning, Jesus is calling us to poverty, to sell everything that we have unless you give up all your possessions you cannot be my disciple. But he's saying, you know, most of us are not saints and we can't we're not necessarily there. So it says, okay, if we have wealth, we have to at least at the very least be generous with it. We don't love it and we we give to the poor. We provide for those in need, which is precisely what Paul is doing in 1 Timothy 6. He begins with you know, we, could, we should just be content with food and clothing. This warning, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And he yes. says, but as for you, man of God, shun all this. Right. Instead, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Then he goes on, and towards the end of the pericope, he says, as for those who in the present age are rich, have fun in hell. That's not what he says. <laughs> he says, as for those who in the present age are rich, command them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but rather on God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, generous and ready to share thus storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of the life that really is life.
1: Yeah. So Contra the rich man who takes his arrogance into death and basically commands Lazarus to get a, a bit of water. Paul commends the rich to be humble, truly careful, to understand that riches come from God and are meant for our enjoyment, which C.S. Lewis has a whole series of great words on, on how, what true enjoyment really looks like. But in any case, we, we think about so often, especially now as we're going into the fall In so many churches, we're thinking about stewardship. This is the kind of thing that can help us preach stewardship well, carefully, pastorally, to let uh, our wealthy members know that their work, their giving, our giving, because we're pretty wealthy too as a church, is meant to be in service to God. And definitely, you know, not just a line item, but an entire ethos an entire life meant to be for the life of the world and especially the poor
0: yeah he's talking about money a lot i don't yeah. think we can get away get from that yeah. of course there's a spiritual and allegorical dimension to it but he really is warning the pharisees in particular but then by extension the whole church because these are the scriptures for the church for all time well yeah and the, the to, chapters to not yeah to not let our hearts be led astray by wealth and to care for the least
1: of these and by caring for the least of these to love our Lord. Yes. Chapter 16, in fact, begins with and Jesus said to the disciples, there's no change, no narrative change from the previous parable to this one that says and then he turned over to the yeah. Pharisees and said, you guys, it's always kind of implicit in there, but this is, as per my reading, very much towards the disciples, his particular disciples, and therefore his church, us.
0: All right. So since you're going to not even preach about this, you're going (laughs) to transfer St. Michael and all angels, which is on the 30th of September to Sunday, the 29th, which is a, I said it like you were doing something wrong. You're doing something great. That's (laughs) amazing that you're doing that. Take us through maybe what you're going to preach about.
1: Well, you know, um, we usually do a couple of activities extra on St. Michael and All Angels. We commit. We usually commission one aspect of our liturgical life. This year, we're going to commission the choir for their years. Their years of work. Last year, we commissioned the acolytes. For example, it's sort of angelic uh, aspects. If you know, if you kind of uh, maintain a certain symbolism within the liturgy, I think. But what I usually do when I preach this homily or preach this sermon, um, I usually take a look at you know, what is the scripture saying about angels, generally speaking, I don't usually deep dive into one of the texts, but like, what are some things that we can recognize about angels as they appear in, in the Bible? Um, you know, we see them as messengers. We see them as uh, being quite frightful. They're they're intense. They're intense beings. Um, they usually um, show up and people get pretty freaked out. They are heralds. They're, they do all kinds of jobs that show... God's presence and, and what he has in mind, which is in, in almost in direct opposition to how people kind of think of them when they've watched too much TV or seen too many movies like myself, um, <laughs> you know? And so uh, in fact, when I was, when I became a Christian disabusing myself of what, what angels are like, I mean, they're like, are they like completely like Nick cage? And in... I was just thinking that <laughs>
0: like, are they just trying to get with Meg Ryan? <laughs> are they all wearing black?
1: Are Goo Goo Dolls playing? You know, that's such a dated reference now, dude. No, um,
0: we're connecting with everyone. <laughs> in any over case, 35. Yeah.
1: <laughs> oh, another one. I, I mean, this is one this is one that I continue to hear is, well, when we die, we become angels. And you hear that a lot, a lot. And um, not from pulpits, obviously, but many people assume this. And I mean, I think even last year I mentioned that, like, you know, if we're if we're thinking that we're turning into angels after death, that's not even that's not even close. That's not even good enough to what Jesus promises us. What we see in the New Testament uh, when Paul talks about a perfect spiritual body. I mean, that's the angels would love that, uh, but we get that in Christ. And so, not to denigrate Saint Michael certainly and all of his whole his whole host, but to say that. Our eternal end is much better than that. But the angels are working hard for us at the command of God. And St. Michael himself uh, cuts quite an imposing figure uh, as his general. And so I try not to be, I I try not to to lean into superstition, but I do lean into some of the um, symbolism, uh, some of the great art. And even as I try to talk about the angels as they appear in the scriptures,
0: Yeah, and we shouldn't ignore them. People have obviously taken all sorts of weird directions. Sure, But that's one of the great things about our prayer book and the evening and the night offices. Yeah. That we're we're recognizing that angels are God's ministers to us for our good. And we're praying, God, send your angels. Give them charge over us to watch us while we
1: sleep. There's a prayer that means a lot to me. It's somewhere in in our great history of, of spirituality. But I have it most readily in a little green book that I have. It's like the priest's prayer book for medical offices. It's great. But there's a prayer for protection that really does call upon the work of St. Michael in particular as the protector of, of Christians. And that particular prayer, indeed, you know, having spent quite a bit of time in the hospital this past week, you know, that's my first go-to, that St. Michael, send him, figure this out. Be with everyone here, but especially the sick and dying uh, and protect them from all assaults of the enemy. uh, Because, I mean, when you're sick, you really need it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Revelation 12 talks about Michael defeating the dragon, which is taken to be the Satan. Right. And when I was at Neshota house this last time, my choir stall was on the epistle side and I was looking at and facing a stained glass window of Revelation oh, yeah. 12 where Michael has his foot on yes, Satan's head with a, that a spear going yeah. through him. Which was kind of a interesting focal point, right? <laughs> to keep my custody of the eyes. Yeah. You know, you're supposed to pick a focal point and worship, not look around the room like a goon and make eye contact everyone, but focus on the Lord. Right. So mine was kind of a, a BA focal point. Yeah, you know? that's pretty great. I <laughs> Militaristic. Know that. Yeah. Well, I mean...
1: I think whenever we can find symbol, whenever we can find biblical history, whenever we can find something that allows us to really uh, draw into the defeat of evil that God has wrought for us in Christ. And uh, the certain there's a certain uh, kind of like hurrah attitude about like an angel just taking down the devil. You know, I, I love that. You know, again, we want to guard against superstition on some level, but on the other hand, being excited about God's defeat of evil and all of its many dimensions, I think is an aspect of Christianity that we ought to rejoice in.
0: And I think you made a great point when you were talking about, you know, people saying, you know, when we die we become angels and Christ has something better for us. And that's part of the gospel actually, because when we're created, as Psalm 8 says, we were created a little lower than the angels. That's about human beings in general. It's about Christ ultimately in particular. But in Christ, we're exalted above the angels. Paul actually says, and this is dumbfounding to me, that we'll actually judge <laughs> angels in the eschaton, whatever that means. Whatever that means, yeah. But it's great, but it shows that as we're united with God, as we're partakers of the divine nature, as Christ is exalted above all, humanity is exalted with him. So neat things to think about. Yeah, Especially if for you're sure. a theology nerd. Or something, yeah. That's great. I'd like a sermon just on that. That'd yeah. Be great.
1: Well, thank you for listening today. We hope that it, uh, our work has been an encouragement and a blessing to you this week. We hope you'll take a look at some of the rest of our, uh, of our episodes if you haven't done that already. We're happy to say that we're just on the edge of 800 total listens, uh, which for us is just great. As a small, tiny little podcast out there in the internet ether. Uh, as we conclude this day... Uh, we hope that you will join us in prayer. We're actually gonna pray using uh, the colic for the feast day of St. Michael and all his angels. Father Matt, the Lord be with you. And with thy spirit. Let us pray. O everlasting God, who, who has hast ordained, ordained and, and constituted, constituted the, the ministries of angels, angels and men in wonderful Lord, order, mercifully grant, as Lord, thy holy angels Lord, always serve and worship, worship thee, thee in, in heaven, heaven, so by thy, thy appointment, they may help and defend us on earth. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you.
0: Blessings. And I don't want the world to see me. (laughs) Cause I don't, so
1: don't think they, they need to <laughs> understand.
0: When everything made, made to, to be broken, again,
1: I just want you, you to know who I am.